Let's pray. Father, I, I think sometimes we don't let a moment breathe. And a, a song like that reminding us to, to revel in a holy moment when we find ourselves in your presence. It's important to remember. It's, it's a good reminder to not rush through and rush forward, but to enjoy you for who you are. Not just what you can bring us or do for us or give us, but who you are. So Father, thank you for who you are. And I pray that as we dive into your word today and look, look at a little bit of who you are, uh, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to us in, in new ways uh, or maybe remind us of old ways that we'd forgotten. It's in Jesus' name. So today we're, we're continuing our Shadows series where we're looking at uh, things that our culture values, uh, things like justice and love and truth, uh, and we're looking at how those values in our culture, in our world, are just shadows of what God intended them to be. Uh, when, when we look at those things in the light of the gospel, we realize that uh, the, the way we experience them in our world is just a shadow of what God intended for us to experience. Excuse me. And today's topic is beauty. Because I mean, look at me. <laughs> Who better to talk about beauty, right? I was, I was telling my kids I, I accidentally stepped on the scale in the bathroom this morning. Um, we just got home from vacation and, uh, and I, the scale was just calling my name and so I stepped on it and I'll tell you, it's a number I've never seen before. <laughs> so you know, achievement unlocked, right? <laughs> and, uh, and when, you know, when Steve told me that uh, this is what I'd be preaching on, uh, on beauty, uh, I remembered this website that launched when I was in college, 23 years ago I was in college, and this website was called hotornot.com. I don't know if you guys remember hotornot.com uh, was a website in the early 2000s, and so here's how it worked. You would upload uh, pictures of yourself uh, to this to this website, uh, early social media, I guess, and uh, and and you would have other users rate your attractiveness on a scale of one to ten, and then those ratings would get averaged, and then your picture would show up with a, a decimal number under it, like a six point four or whatever you might be. I'm not saying that number out of any kind of experience of my life. Um, they would average all these numbers together, and then you'd have your average of, of hotness. You'd have a numerical value for your attractiveness. And, uh, and I, di I did a little digging into this site, uh, and uh, it, it started over a disagreement that two friends had over how attractive a passing woman was. Like one of them thought she was very attractive, the other one thought she wasn't that attractive, and they argued, and they decided to build a website and like crowdsource the judgment uh, and, and figure out how attractive people were. And believe it or not, in an interview with Time Magazine just a few years later, the founders of YouTube admitted that they originally set out to create a video version of hotornot.com. YouTube was originally supposed to be the same idea. People would upload videos of themselves and, and we would decide if those people were attractive or not. Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the founder of Facebook, he got his start by creating a site called Face Mash 
where he, uh, he posted photos from Harvard's Facebook. Remember, Facebook was just a closed loop on Harvard's campus. FaceMash would post pictures from Harvard's Facebook for other college students to rate each other on their attractiveness. Um, and so both YouTube and Facebook got their start from hotornot.com, from this concept of putting pictures out on the internet so everyone could judge how attractive or not uh, people were. Some of the most lucrative businesses in the world today started with this basis, rating people's beauty. And it's not like that's still not happening, right? I mean, it's not like that was something that only happened back then. Um, the most widespread use of augmented reality technology isn't gaming. Uh, it's not graphic design. It's the face filters on social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat uh, and TikTok. Uh, and, and, and many uh, of those filters were designed to cover our flaws and make our appearance more beautiful in the pictures that we post online to, to kind of touch those pictures up. Because look, we are obsessed with appearing beautiful to the world around us. We've been using a, a book as kind of a companion to this series. The book was written by a guy named N.T. Wright. Uh, and, and in that book, N.T. Wright says, when you meet something, or indeed someone really beautiful, you don't need to be told to admire it. You are filled with admiration, as we say, by the sight or sound of it. In other words, when you experience something truly beautiful, you don't need to ask if it's beautiful or look at the rating <laughs> that, it, that it has as an average. You just know. When you see something truly beautiful, you just know. You know inherently, deep down, that's beautiful. And we can get fixated on trying to become more beautiful or even asking others if they think that we're beautiful. And that leads us to chase after a shadow of beauty instead of the actual beauty that God intended by turning to him to experience the real thing. And so I, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, like, how do I illustrate this? And I remembered this, that, that I've been to Yellowstone National Park twice in my life. And I can tell you without any doubt that it's beautiful. I, I've seen the geysers and sulfur springs, and I've seen the lake and the canyon. I'm really bad at taking selfies. <laughs> That's one of my better ones, believe it or not. Um, I've seen all those things for myself. I've seen them firsthand. Uh, and I can tell you the whole experience was breathtaking. It's beautiful without a doubt. But that only happened the second time I went to Yellowstone. The first time I was there, I was 18 years old. And I was throwing a massive teenager fit. I don't know if you've ever had teenagers or been around teenagers, but they throw fits like toddlers sometimes. And I was doing that. I was throwing a massive teenager fit at age 18 uh, when we were on that vacation, right? It was, it was the end of a, a long family vacation out that we had been out west and, and, and enjoying uh, lots of beauty. And it was right at the end, kind of on the way home. And I, I didn't want to be away from my friends or my stuff anymore. And so when we rolled into Yellowstone, into the cabin that my parents rented, I refused to leave the cabin. I spent three whole days in Yellowstone National Park, and I never left the cabin. I didn't set foot outside at all. My family did. My sister's laughing at me right now. My family did. They saw the amazing beauty of the place. They made memories. They had amazing experiences. Um, they, they, you know, they, they got to do all this awesome stuff while I stayed indoors and watched TV. And I read books. I read 1984, actually. And I, and I read Ezekiel. <laughs> Those were the, I was in a real mood that week. 
And, uh, and I was generally just pouty, right? I was pouting. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was, I was in my feelings. And I saw, I saw a little glimpse of the beauty of Yellowstone through my window. I, I could look out my window and see like this piece of the park, but it paled in comparison to what I experienced when I went back as an adult and saw the whole park, the whole picture. Because when I was 18, I only experienced a shadow of the full beauty that Yellowstone National Park had to offer me because I was only looking out this little window. And I think sometimes that's what we do. We settle. We settle for this little tiny window uh, and we stay inside because we like the air conditioning or because uh, we like the TV show and we're not done with it yet and we got to finish binging. And we settle for this little glimpse, this little shadow of the beauty that God has for us when there's so much more that God is waiting to show us, but we settle for a shadow. And look, I think we know beauty when we see it, right? I think N.T. Wright is correct about that, unless, unless we're looking in the mirror. That's the exception, right? When we're looking in the mirror, our insecurities get in the way, and we don't know beauty when we see it. But when we're not looking at ourselves, when we're looking at, uh, at other, other people or, or th- you know, things God has made, we know beauty when we see it. We don't need someone to tell us what's beautiful. And I think that the beauty that we see is one of two types of beauty, and the first type is, I'm going to call it natural beauty. Um, and and I'm, what I mean by that is not like things that are independent of God. I mean, it's things that God created uh, to be natural things, nature things, right? Natural beauty. Uh, the things that God made in the world, the people that he created that would be included in the natural beauty. Um, psalm 19, uh, at the, the beginning of this psalm, reminds us of the purpose of natural beauty. When it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words into the ends of the world. And so natural beauty can catch us off guard and break through our routines and our habits to show us God's passion and God's power. I mentioned that I, I just got home from vacation. Uh, we were I- camping uh, in Michigan, in western, southwest Michigan, um, for uh, 10 days. And uh, I got to live outside in, in the midst of God's natural beauty. And I saw the, the waves of Lake Michigan crashing on the sand that stretched for miles uh, in both directions. I saw the sun setting into the water in the distance. Uh, I looked up from my hammock into the tall pine trees that were all around my campsite. I warmed my feet near a fire each night. And, and when we consider all the diversity and the beauty of the natural world, we can't help but turn our attention to God and give him credit and thank him for what he's done and what he's given us. And there's a second type of beauty. I think natural beauty is easy for us. Like, oh, I get that. That's a beautiful thing. God made it. Thank you, God. There's a second type of beauty in our world too. It's the beauty that that humanity creates. The beauty that we create. The art. The architecture. um, The culture. And earlier this summer, I I took my family to New York City uh, for Seth and Izzy's senior trip. and, And that place has a whole different kind of beauty. Other than Central Park and the water that's surrounding the city, that place is man-made as far as the eye can see, right? And I had to admit that there's beauty in that too. The, the different styles of architecture in the buildings, the elaborate decoration carved into the Broadway theaters, 
the, the influences of multiple cultures and ethnicities coming together in places like Chinatown and Little Italy, uh, the city that people have made is also filled with beauty. God makes natural beauty, and, 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 and we also uh, can contribute to the beauty in the world. We're, we're told in Genesis 1 that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, and then a little later in, in chapter 2, the Lord God took the man uh, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God created a world filled with beauty, and that includes people. And not only did he make us to be beautiful... He made us in his image, able to create beauty of our own, able to join God in his work of creating and maintaining the world. And God said it was very good. We are hardwired for beauty. God made us with multiple senses that enable us to appreciate and comprehend the beauty that's all around us. But, but even though God created with beauty, we can look around the world and see that it's not always beautiful. Not everything we see screams beauty. Because when sin came into the world, beauty suffered. Romans 8 says that the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, sin brought ugliness into a perfectly beautiful world. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in chasing that artificial imitation of the beauty that God intended. Because that's what sin always does, right? Sin bends things and twists things and makes things into this, these artificial uh, imitation things that, that almost look like the, the real thing that God made, but not, not quite. You know, they're, they're just twisted. And, and, and I think one of those things is how we get caught up in judging people's appearances, including our own. We get caught up in judging people's appearances, hotornot.com, right? And whether we like it or not, a person's appearance is usually the first thing we notice about them. And, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's the way we judge a person's worth. The, the cosmetics ind industry in the United States alone brings in $49.2 billion a year in the products that it sells. Um, with another $20 billion a year spent on cosmetic surgeries uh, to, to enhance beauty. And if you do the math, that works out to somewhere between $244, somewhere between $244 and $313 per month per American spent on trying to make ourselves look better. And you'd hope that that kind of money would at least lead us to all looking beautiful and feeling very confident about ourselves, right? But it doesn't. We know that. The standards of beauty in our culture are more like caricatures than the real thing, aren't they? Have you ever seen those caricature artists at the amusement parks and, and fairs or whatever? Like they draw an imitation of a person and they exaggerate certain features uh, to create more of a comical effect in, in the picture. Um, it's kind of like clown makeup that highlights eyes or nose or mouth or ears uh, or, or, the, or the makeup trend that's going around right now that makes people look like dolls. Um, it's kind of like that. Uh, and, and look, that kind of beauty isn't about looking natural. That kind of beauty is about trying to look perfect. And listen, looking perfect isn't natural. 
And so that's, we're chasing perfection instead of beauty, and it's just the shadow of the beauty God wants for us. Cosmetic surgeries and, and cosmetic products, they reflect our desire to defy aging, but they, they do nothing to actually extend life or improve the quality of our life. True beauty is focused on character, not caricature. Ugliness doesn't come from a flawed appearance. Ugliness comes from the sin we allow into our lives. Jesus once talked about uh, if you have to clean the inside. You don't, you don't focus on cleaning up the outside of the dish. It's the inside that's full of dead men's bones and rotting things. That's where the sin is. That's where the ugliness is. That's what we need to, to address. And so chasing imitation beauty instead of the real thing leads us away from God instead of toward God. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in Romans chapter one when he wrote this. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals, and reptiles. God has left clear evidence of himself in the world that he's made. And that evidence can be clearly seen by people. That's what Paul says in Romans. The beauty and the intricacy of creation uh, helps people understand that there must be a creator. And it helps prompt people to search for him. As, as Rich Mullins once wrote in his song, The Color Green, the moon is a sliver of silver, like a shaving that fell to the floor of a carpenter's shop. Every house must have its builder, and I awoke in the house of God. When we look around, we can't help but realize someone must have done this. This wasn't an accident. This is intentional. This is purposeful. Someone did this. And, and, it, and it's just enough to lead us on a quest, to lead us on a search for who it was, for what our creator is like. But when we turn away from the beauty and the glory of God in favor of images and lies of our own making, Paul says that we end up elevating created things, including ourselves. We're part of that category too. Created things get elevated beyond the place they were intended to have in God's world. And, and Romans 1 says that God lets us do it. If we choose to settle for a shadow of beauty, God won't stop us. If we choose to put our sins or ourselves in God's place, God will allow it. God will allow us to experience the consequences of the decisions we make. A lot of times we ask, how could God do that? How could a loving God let people go through that? And I think that's the wrong question. I think a lot of time the question is, why do I expect that, I, that God would save me from the natural consequences of the sinful decisions I'm making? God says, if that's what you want, if that's truly what you want to chase after, have at it. And I think he does it in the hopes that we will realize it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill, it's not the beauty we actually wanted, and we'll turn back to him. He doesn't force the issue. He, he lets us go through the experience 
in the hope that we'll turn back to him. And it reminds me of, of what happened at the very beginning in, in Genesis 3, where sin entered this world that God had made. Because we invited it in, right? We invited the sin in. And when sin came into this world, things changed. All of creation experienced a curse. Things were no longer functioning the way God designed them to function. Sin twisted things. The world God made became a shadow lands, as as C.S. Lewis once wrote. And in that very moment, God put a plan in motion to restore his creation to the beauty he intended in the first place. And we can read about it at the very start of the Gospel of John in chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and And truth. The word didn't just appear to be human. Jesus didn't just look like a person. Uh, The word became flesh, became human. And this passage is loaded with theological meaning. We we can unpack this for hours, but the place I want to focus on is that he made his dwelling among us. Because the word for dwelling here is the same word used in the Old Testament for the tabernacle. Literally, uh, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The glory of God that was once restricted to the tabernacle and, and to the temple in the Old Testament is now visible for all to see in the person of Jesus Christ. And so real quickly, I want to talk about the tabernacle. I want to go back a little bit. Uh, we first read about the tabernacle in the second half of the book of Exodus, it was the tent of meeting, right, that, that, that the, the Israelites would take down and put up on their travels as they wandered uh, through the desert where God promised to, to send his presence to dwell in the midst of his people. The, the bright cloud of the presence of God would settle on the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the most holy place inside the tabernacle. Um, and God gave his people specific instructions uh, at length about the design and the construction of the tabernacle uh, in Exodus. So starting in chapter 25, uh, this is just a, a, a piece of the instructions. It says, these are the offerings you are to receive from them, from the, the Israelites. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be ment- uh, mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. God cares about both kinds of beauty that we talked about earlier, right? He cares about the natural beauty of his creation, but he also cares about the the handcrafted beauty of the people who bear his image. This elaborately decorated and, and brightly colored tabernacle marked God's presence among his people in, in a visible way. In contrast to the, the bleak colors of the wilderness all around them, suddenly there was this enormous tent of meeting that the people would gather in to worship God. God deserved the best his people had to offer. 
And if you ever get a chance to travel across Europe, you'll see lavishly decorated church buildings and cathedrals and even the smallest villages there dating all the way back to the Middle Ages. And, and we, in our Protestant sensibilities, I think we write that off as a waste of resources. But is it really wrong to honor God by building the most beautiful building uh, we can think of, using the best materials we can afford? I know, I know we can worship God anywhere. I know we don't need a cathedral to feel close to God, but it's hard not to feel close to God. It's hard not to feel his presence when you walk in to an enormous, beautiful, ornate house of worship. There's just something about it. Because beauty matters. Beauty matters to God, and true beauty points us to God's presence or as the Bible calls it, to God's glory. God's glory is the visible manifestation of who God is. It's his true nature. The book of Exodus ends with this description of the tabernacle. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, uh, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of the Israelites during their travels. The people saw God's glory among them in a cloud that led them by day and a pillar of fire that protected them at night. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud settled, they settled. And John says that in Jesus, God's glory is revealed in the same way. John goes on to say in verse 18, no one's ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus shows us what God is like. He also shows us what we can be like. He's the light that drives out the shadow of beauty and replaces it with true beauty the way God intended. And when we focus on the beauty of Jesus, the beauty that he brings and the beauty that he offers, we become more beautiful by extension. Just like Moses, whose face was literally glowing when he, he, after he spent time in God's presence. The beauty that we see and the beauty that we make in the world today is only a shadow of what God intended from the beginning. But the glimpses of beauty that we do get, they prompt us to go further up and further in to the things that God has planned for us. I mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier that he referred to the world as a, a shadow lands. Now I wanna read for you the way he described that near the end of the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. When Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here. Just as in our own world, England and all, it's only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. Of course it's different as different as a real thing is from a shadow, or as waking life is from a, a dream. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. I have come home at last. This 
is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. The reason we love this old earth is that it sometimes looks a little like what the new heavens and the new earth will be. The beauty that we experience today is only a hint of what God has for us in the future. It's only a glimpse through the window of a cabin in Yellowstone of what God has for us to come. But only if we come further up and further in. If we stay in that cabin and we're content to only glimpse through the window, we're not coming further up and further into God's presence. N.T. Wright put it this way in his book. Our human drive for beauty for transcendent meaning, turns out to be more than we ever expected. It is God-given, a signpost designed to lead us back into his presence. So don't fall into the trap of Romans 1, worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. No matter how beautiful those things are, they don't deserve our worship. They're not worthy of it. Chasing after beauty never ends, and it never satisfies So don't settle for a shadow of beauty when God offers us the real thing. Let's pray. God, it's so difficult. Beauty can be so subjective. Sometimes it's so difficult to to think about how beauty can lead us closer to you. But Lord, I pray that it would. I I pray that we would Stop chasing after uh, artificial beauty, shadowy beauty. I pray that we would uh, seek after the true beauty that you have waiting for us by coming further up and further into your presence. Uh, It's in Jesus' name, amen. We uh, every week have a time of communion and uh, we're about to do that again here now uh, because God entered our world and he wrapped himself in our humanity but not our sin. Instead, it says that he brought grace and truth to transform anyone who will receive him. In in Jesus, God has shown us glory and grace, and through Jesus, we can regain the beauty and the grace that we once had when we were first created. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, to strive to live the way that God made us instead of, excuse me, settling for the way sin cursed us. The curse of sin does not have to be the thing that defines your story because sin's curse died on the cross with our Savior. Only one of those two things stayed dead and it wasn't our Savior. It wasn't Jesus. It was sin and its curse. And that's why we celebrate each week when we take communion. I mean, we evaluate and we think through our, our, our lives and our choices, but really we celebrate what happened on the cross when we take communion every week. That sin stayed dead, but Jesus didn't. Sin and death might be our past, but joy and life are the future. So when the tray passes by, go ahead and take a set of cups and hold on to them uh, until we can take communion together. His body given for us his blood poured out for our sin. The words of that song during communion, you make beautiful things out of the dust 
You make beautiful things out of us. God is the author of true beauty. So let's not settle for a shadow. When you notice beauty this week, let it drive you closer to the one who created it all for his pleasure and for your enjoyment. Um, So if you're here this morning with with something on your heart that you'd like to pray about, uh, or if you'd like to know more about accepting Jesus and joining this church family, uh, we're going to have some of our elders over here in this side room in the overflow uh, after the service this morning who would love to talk with you and and pray with you. Uh, But we're going to close with one last song this morning as we're dismissed together.